people around you who have or will come to ask questions, reach conclusions, and give advice that should be as irrelevant to you as they were to Jesus. How many of y'all have some people around who like to give you advice? They look at what's going on. They hear some of the things that are going on. They have reached conclusions. They want to pass those conclusions on to you. They want to give you advice. And sometimes, how many of you ever felt like, well, I got to be, I got to be Christian. I got to be nice. So you smile and you, you know, you try and be, be kind and, and so forth with the people that are giving this advice. But you know, that advice is wrong because they're not, they're not seeing everything that you need to see. And you can either take the time to educate them and bring them up to where you are, or you can just smile and thank you. And this is what most of us do, right? We smile. Thank you. You know, you're going to have some people over for the, the meal. And how many of y'all know when people come over, they like to give you advice on how they would have cooked it? What they would have done? Well, you know, if, when I make them, I, I put these in and it makes them taste so much nicer. <laughs> well, in the, in the uh, encounter that we look at today, Jesus, his own disciples came to conclusions. They asked questions and they rendered advice for Jesus that Jesus completely disregarded. Paid no attention to it. And what was the basis for Jesus dismissing these questions? We want to take a look at that. Why did Jesus take a look at these particular questions and decide, I don't need to pay attention to any any of that? Because our goal here is we want to find out what kind of questions get Jesus' attention. What kind of questions are the kind that God says, I need to send the answer to this now. And what are the kind of questions that they say, you know what? This isn't very important at all. We want to find these things out. Now, in the uh, last week, as we were look, going through, we took a look at the 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 man who uh, decided that he did not know what Jesus would do, but he knew what Jesus could do. He knew that Jesus could heal him, but he wasn't quite sure if he was willing to. And as we're getting into this this part, I, I still haven't figured out the exact wording on this, but the general idea is that general answers will not yield specific victories. That sometimes we need a specific victory in our life and we're still going off general answers. We need to get something specific for that. The man there, he had the general answer. The general answer was Jesus can do this, but he did not have it specific for his case. And so he had to come to Jesus and Jesus had to help him out with this. I am willing to be cleansed. We saw with a woman with the issue of blood, she had a general answer. But she took that general answer and she made it specific for her. We're going to take a look at this particular situation. And this is, uh, this is just such a common place story. This is in all four Gospels we see this story talked about. In Mark chapter 6, if, if you ever get, uh, I'm sure that this won't ever happen. But if it does ever happen, if you get stopped in the street and say, what is your pastor's favorite gospel? How many could answer that question? I mean, there's four gospels. And don't give pull this religious stuff that says, oh, I like them all the same. You do not. One of them is going to hit you a little bit more than the other ones do. I have a favorite. I have a favorite gospel. If you were going to strain me somewhere and I could only take one gospel with me, I wouldn't even blink an eye. I know exactly which one I would take. Mark. Mark is the one. It's a shorter, but Mark gets details on things that other ones leave out. 
I love the details of Mark. So if I'm only going to take one, it's going to be the Gospel of Mark. I like Matthew. Matthew's probably number two. I like Luke and I like John. John's got some stories that nobody else has. But, oh, I love the detail in Mark. And Mark gives us some detail in this story that we just don't have, as he does with most of the stories that he, he works with. Verse 30 of chapter 6. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Sometimes in getting to the heart of this story, we can miss this verse. Don't miss what this verse is saying. Can you imagine the 12 disciples coming down, sitting down with Jesus? And they're all in different places. Maybe they were in pairs, but they're, they're all in different places. And each of them was te- not just laying hands on people and getting people healed. They were teaching. And they came back to Jesus. And Jesus would be there in the, in the group of them. Peter, what did you teach today? Well, I was teaching on, and he would tell the verse of Scripture. He would say some of the things he had, he had done, probably even telling some of the uh, incidences that happened as people were responding to what was being taught. Matthew, what were you teaching today? And then Matthew would go on, and he would talk about what he had. John, what were you teaching today? And John, can you imagine sitting there in front of Jesus, whom you've learned everything from, telling him what you taught? And he wants to hear what you're, what you're teaching. <laughs> that could be a little intimidating. Anybody be intimidated by that? <laughs> I, I think I didn't teach nothing. How about you just teach me? Come on. <laughs> just, I'm ready to just listen. You just teach me on this. But uh, they sat there and they were doing this. The apostles, they gathered to Jesus and told him all things. They didn't leave anything out. Both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, they're all together. I, I kind of get the picture of this. You know, Matthew is saying, well, I was teaching about this. And then Peter said, oh, I was in that same thing. And I was looking at it from this point. And they're going back and forth and just talking, just having a good old time. And they are talking about this. This is a, a fun kind of fellowship. Haven't you had these kind of fellowships? Sometimes we get together as a church and we're talking about things from the Word. We're talking about things that are going on in our lives and how God has been interacting with us and helping us. Oh, they're fun times. We enjoy those because we're with the brethren. We get to talk about this stuff. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a, desert, to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. The reason this story is set up to begin with is because so many people are hitting them up. Hey, I, I, I just brought my sister. Can you lay hands on her? I just brought my brother. Can you lay hands on him? Constantly people are coming up to them. Can you minister here? Maybe they might have questions. And they're asking Jesus some questions or the disciples are answering some questions. This is just a constant thing going on and Jesus is saying that, all right, this is... This could wear them out. It hasn't worn them out. They're doing great. They're enthusiastic about what they're teaching. We're sitting down here and instead of just sleeping, they want to talk to me about what is going on. But let's, let's get to a place where I can just minister to them and talk with them. Let's go to a deserted place. And so they got into a boat. This place is so remote, they had to get there by boat. 
There was no other access to it. So they all get inside the boat and they head to a deserted place. They are not in a deserted place. They are going to a deserted place for the purpose was to get away and to, and to probably eat some, get some rest. Have you ever been working so much that you forgot to eat? Or just didn't get a chance to eat? You just didn't have any of that kind of stuff going on? I know when we were in the fast food restaurant business, you know, we sometimes we would pull 18-hour shifts. And, you know, you start there at the crack of dawn and you'd go there until the next day. 3 a.m. you're pulling out of there. You never left the place. And you, you don't get to eat when all the normal people eat because when all the normal people are eating, you're working really hard. And so you have to find time to eat in between there. And, you know, you can't go out to a, a burger place. All you have available to you is pizza. So uh, some, there were many days I had a Canadian bacon pizza for breakfast. I had a pepperoni pizza for lunch. And I had a works pizza for dinner. Pizza in the morning, pizza in the afternoon, pizza at night. And then you're making pizzas all day. It's a good thing I like pizza. Do you know to this day I still like pizza? <laughs> I, was, I was in an okay uh, industry, I guess, because it, it didn't wear me out. But you can get going sometimes. And even when the rush stops, you have to get things ready for the next. And I just don't have time to eat. You've all been there with, with different demands that are on you. I have to get this. I just don't have time to eat. I need to. Maybe if I can really hurry and get this thing done, I can get some time to eat. This is where the disciples are. They just don't have time. And of course, they don't have microwaves. They don't have the fast food restaurants that they can go in. They have to, they have to make stuff. So they decide, let's go away to a deserted place. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So these folks, they know Jesus. They see Jesus get into the boat. Somebody in the crowd says, I know where he's going. Let's get there before he does. And so they make an end around on land to get there. And they're, they're going fast. And if you're in a rowboat, if you're... In most of the boats that they would probably have access to, they're not super fast on the water. You could probably get there faster, I guess, by land. And that's what they did. And so when they arrived, there's people. So they get there. When he came out, he saw a great multitude of people there. They came here to rest. They came here to eat. They came here to fellowship. They came here for a purpose. And that purpose is gone because people saw where they were going. That was the plan. Didn't quite work out so well, did it? The people showed up with needs, but not provisions. Now, you're going to see a lot of that in holiday time. How many of y'all have people who will come over to your house? They have needs. They have no provisions. They come over. You know, I'm hungry. I have needs, but I have no provisions. They didn't, they didn't bring anything. They weren't supposed to bring anything. You didn't tell them to bring anything, whatever it might be. But this is what happens. All these people that are showing up, they got needs. And so Jesus just spends the time they were going to be relaxing, resting. He spends that time ministering, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, teaching. The disciples are doing much of the same thing or they're helping to organize the crowd and getting them so that the, uh, the certain ones are down there getting ministered to and we're not overcrowding Jesus. We're kind of doing some crowd control things. So they're doing this. They came here for rest, but here's what you got instead. You've never had that experience, have you? 
expecting to get some rest and then all of a sudden things happen and you didn't get any rest. This is what they're experiencing. This is what they're going through. So they had gone through a long time of ministry. They decided, Jesus said, we need rest. We're going over to this deserted place. They get there, find a multitude of people and are now ministering again. They were already hungry. Now they're probably hungrier. Now Jesus showed up without needs or natural provisions. But he had spiritual provisions. So he's given the spiritual provisions that he's got. But he didn't come with needs. He didn't come here and saying, well, I need people to do this for me. He just came there and he had provisions to give, but they were spiritual, not natural. So this brings us to the inevitable crisis. You have people coming in with needs and no provisions. You have Jesus coming in with spiritual provisions, but no natural provisions. We are in a deserted place. Eventually, people need stuff. Eventually, they get to that place. Verse 35. When the day was now far spent, they've been at this for a long time. When the day was far spent, they are ministering in this way in a deserted place. This place is not meant to handle a lot of people. His disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. So they are assessing the situation. Jesus came here with the purpose of ministering to us. We're not getting that. We're ministering to people instead. Jesus is not seeing what's going on. We need to help him out. Jesus does not see that the day is getting late. Jesus does not see that we don't have anything to feed these people. So we need to help Jesus out. If you have ever been in a place where people are always trying to tell you what to do, but they really have no clue, this is where Jesus is. He is being told what to do by people who really don't have a clue what's going on. And he's being given advice. Now, how many of you, whenever people do this, they come into your house, it's Christmas time, it's Thanksgiving, and they want to tell you how to cook the green beans. How you should have done the, uh, the, what is it, the sweet potatoes? Yeah, I will never tell you how to do sweet potatoes. Never. Never tell you how to do sweet potatoes because I don't care how you cook them. They're always, always awful. <laughs> always. There is not a good yam out there. I despise every single one. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much sugar, how much marshmallows, how much whatever you put into them. I will not eat a yam in any way I will cast them out <laughs> you can try I've long gone past the part where I have to save people's feelings and eat what they put in front of me uh uh-uh. uh no I will not eat yams they're not green and I don't care give me a regular ordinary potato any day that's, that's the way to go regular potatoes that's what I want no, no yams my wife cooks them because there's all kinds of people in the family that eat them. I don't care that she cooks them. Just don't make me eat them. I am not eating yams. I just I despise them with everything in me. They're, they're gritty. They're just I don't know what the, why people eat these things. Anyway, they need food. Maybe they might be hungry enough right now. A yam might work. 
I don't know if I would ever get that hungry. It is possible, but I really don't think that it that would ever happen. When I was young, you know, way, way back when we grew up, I don't even remember these days. When you were young and you grew up, you ate what was on the table. Anybody remember those days? Whatever was cooked, that's what you ate. If you didn't want to eat it, what happened? You went hungry. That's it. We didn't throw nothing in the microwave. We didn't have it. I don't think we had a microwave back then. <laughs> there was no uh, cooking other things. No. If you don't want what's here, that's fine. You can go hungry. Nobody, uh, nobody cried over that. So that all. That's not the way it is now. You know, this kid's getting this, and this kid's over here getting this, and this one's getting this, and whew. I'll tell you, it's exhausting to be a mom now. But the day was far spent during a deserted place. He says, the hour is late. In case you didn't realize this, the sun's going down. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. Everyone here seems to know what you should do or should have done. And they're going to set out to advise you on it. That's what you should have done. It may not even be with food. It may just be how you're praying. Well, you know, I prayed and I prayed this way. And it worked. <laughs> Everybody wants to advise you. And sometimes that little party inside of you just wants to rise up and say, Hush. Just stop. Don't you want, anybody else want to do that? Just hush. Maybe you want to say something a little stronger. Shut up. <laughs> but, I mean, it just comes up on the inside of you. You want to do it, but no, no, I need to be a good Christian person. Not say these things. I want, let's take a look at how Jesus handled this. Now, I wrote this in your outline. I wanted to make sure that you could get this. But people without understanding, having neither the responsibility or perspective of your position, will develop assessments without substance. This is the key part. The people that are going to speak to you in this way are people who have, they're without understanding. They don't understand what you have faced. They don't understand what came against you. They don't understand what ingredients you were missing when you were making the yams. They don't understand. You came into a dilemma. You didn't have any more marshmallows or whatever things you were going to put in there. And so you had to improvise. You had to get something else. They were not there when that when you were going through They don't have the understanding. People without understanding having neither the responsibility or perspective of your position will develop assessments without substance. You see, even if you're just having people over, you have the responsibility of other people who are coming into the house to feed them. That's a responsibility. You have a perspective. How many of you, when you are preparing a holiday meal, when you are preparing a meal for when people are coming over, you develop a perspective? Well, uncle so-and-so doesn't like this. Aunt so-and-so doesn't like this. I need to have some creamer because... Sister so-and-so is going to want a whole bunch of coffee. You, you, you develop the perspective. You know what everybody needs, what everybody wants, and so you try and have all those things available to you. There's a responsibility that you have, and there's perspective. That's what drives you. The disciples do not have the responsibility of these people, nor do they have their perspective. 
And that is why their advice is bad and why Jesus ignores it. Jesus ignores their advice. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding countries and villages and buy themselves bread. We do not want to be taking this project on. That's our perspective. That's not the perspective from the people. People without understanding have neither the responsibility or perspective of your position will develop assessments without substance. How many times have people assessed your situation, you hear it, and you say, <laughs> you haven't got a clue what's going on. You do not know what you speak. And so you just want to move on. That's a lot of the reason. They don't have the responsibility and they don't have the perspective. That's what you need. And that's what they lack. Jesus looked at the situation from the people's perspective. The disciples looked at the situation from theirs. Jesus took on the responsibility for their welfare. The disciples are looking out for their welfare. This is not to say that they are selfish people. They had already spent how long ministering to them, went to a deserted place, and spent another most of the day ministering to them again. I think they're eventually getting to that point where they're saying, I think it's me time. Anybody ever been there? You ever woke up, I need some me time? I want some me time. I don't want you time. I don't want to be talking. I don't want to be dishing out. I don't want to be cooking. I don't want to be prepping. Nothing. That's where they are. The disciples saw this from their own perspective. And they did not care what happened to them so long as they left the premises. I don't care where you go just so you don't stay here. Right? Isn't that what Brother Keith used to always say? <laughs> That's a little paraphrase from that. It says, it says, you don't have to, how do you say it? You don't have to go home. You just have to get out of here. <laughs> you, you used to always say that. And people would. You know, they'd get out of here and they'd go out in the parking lot and they'd sit out there for a while. <laughs> that's, a, that's all right. The questions and, and conclusions the disciples come to are irrelevant to Jesus because of, because of what was lacking in their formation. You can consider some of the conclusions that people come to about your life, about what you ought to do, as irrelevant when the same thing qualifies. It said that Jesus had compassion for them. Jesus had compassion for them. Remember last week we saw he had compassion for the, for the man who was a leper? Jesus had compassion for them. The disciples had compassion for themselves. Most of the time, holiday time's coming up, People are coming over. People are complaining about what food you made. Not enough desserts. Not enough chocolate in the desserts. Not enough whipped cream. Not enough ice cream. Whatever it might be. They're, they come into, well, sure wish you would have had more of whatever it might be. They are looking at it from, from what perspective? What I, what I want. What would make me happy. That's where most people come from. People that are going to come from that perspective... They're not going to be giving you real great advice. They're only going to give you what would have helped them out. But there are people who show up. How many are glad for this? There are people who show up on holiday and say, I don't care what happens with me. What do you need done? What can I help with? Can I wash some dishes? Can I run out to the store for you? And they're just here just not to do what's comfortable for them, 
what you need. What do you need? Boy, aren't you glad you have a couple of those people that come to the house? They help out with those others. The other other people, they want to give you advice. What do you want to do with them? Go in the room and watch the game. Go in the room and put on the parade. Whatever it might be. Just something. Just get out of here. You want to you want to get these things going. Now the disciples, they did handle the unexpected crowd for a long time. Because the, the word does say when the day was far spent. But they brought the problem to Jesus. They looked for a best solution. They were looking for a best solution that they liked. Not a best solution. See, that's sometimes limiting. A lot of times we wanted to go with God. God, I want you to give me a best solution that I like. Has God ever given you a best solution that you did not like? What should I do here? You should do this. I don't want to do that. Uh-uh, no, I do not want to do that. No, no, no. See, that's the best solution. It's just not one that you like. The disciples want a best solution that they like. Jesus wants the best solution. So their best solution is send them away while there's still time for them to get home. I don't know if there's enough time for them to get home, but they can at least get out of here. Jesus doesn't like this solution. He doesn't, he doesn't like this solution. He says, no, I don't, I don't think I like that. I think we can come up with another because he actually says to them, oh, they, don't, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. That's over in Matthew. When Matthew covers it, Matthew gives you this. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Many times when we see a problem, we identify the needs and see the solution as something that solves them. Well, here's the needs. Here's what we, we have going on. And um, here's a solution that will solve them. But I don't necessarily have the right perspective to come up with it. If we get the need wrong, we will likely also get the solution wrong. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, it was Matthew 14 and verse 16, they do not need to go away. The disciples had decided that the people needed to go away. That's what they decided. The people need to go away. Jesus is telling this, you got the need wrong. It's just like when somebody comes in and starts to offer you critique on your dish that you made. Well, you needed to add it a little more of... And how many of y'all know what rises up on the inside of you? I didn't need to do nothing like that. (laughs) Uh -uh. Jesus says, they do not need to go away. You see, if you get the need wrong, you'll get the solution wrong. They saw the need was to get away. Jesus says, you got the need wrong. Therefore, the solution isn't right. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, they have been for the better part of two days trying to feed themselves and they haven't been able to do a very good job of it because they were hungry when they got here and they're still hungry now because they haven't been able to do too much on this area of food. They're not doing well feeding themselves. And Jesus says, not only do I want you to minister to all these people, not only do I want you to teach all of these people. Not only do I want you to crowd control all these people. I want you to feed them. <laughs> now, if you're one of the disciples, I don't know. I, I'm thinking under my breath, 
one of the, if I'm one of the disciples, under my breath, I'm thinking, do they need to do anything at all? Or is it all just on us? Do we need to do it all? I mean, we gotta teach them. We gotta pray for them. We gotta heal them. We gotta cast out demons. We gotta crowd control them. We gotta, they're not doing anything! They get a little frustrated with this. Now you're saying, we need to feed them. How many are, if you're a disciple, how many might be feeling a little bit underappreciated? Just a little bit underappreciated. You know, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing this, we're doing this, and now, feed this group, this group here is 5,000 men. More than likely, they brought their wives along. That's 10,000 people right there. If the husband and the wife are coming along, where are the kids? They are not in daycare. They are with them. Let's just say that each one of them had two kids, and that is not likely. Let's just say, though, that each of them had two kids. That's 5,000 plus 5,000 plus two kids each. That is 10,000 people. How many of you would like to, on the spot, feed 10,000 people? How many of you might be a little set back thinking that you have to come up with food for 10,000 plus people? How many get a little upset at Jesus because you're asking me to feed 10,000 plus people? Again, it's, it's getting late. We have to go get stuff. What do we have here? We don't got much. When asked to do something challenging, this is some of the things. We can write some of this down if you want to. When we were asked to do something challenging, we tend to look at what we have. When I am asked to do something challenging, the first thing I generally look at is, what do I have? What have I got with me? What do I have? Second thing we might do is, what can we get? Alright, I have this, but I can get this. I can get this over here. Third thing we might say is, what we have, what we can get, what we see. Alright, I don't have this, but I can see this over here. Maybe we'll have access to, to this thing over here. Hey, but what we know. Well, I know. I know some people on the mainland. I know some people over here. I can get a message to them and they can bring us some stuff. And lastly, what we have done. Whenever I'm looking at doing something impossible, I always want to take a look at what have I done? Because that's the basis for what I can measure for where I'm going. When we are tested beyond what we feel able, it exposes what the real hindrance is. Many times, folks, we are not allowing ourselves to be exposed to this level. I am not allowing myself to be challenged to this level. Because as soon as I get there, I pull back. It's, it's one thing to ask me to minister all day. It's one thing to ask me to cast out demons and, and uh, lay hands on the sick and to teach people all day. I've done these things. I have this in me. I can do it. But now you're asking me to do something I have never done. I don't see how I have the capacity to do this. This thing seems to be impossible to me. Whenever we are asked by God to do what is seemingly impossible, your flesh will get woke up. 
and you will start letting out all the things that are really holding you back in your Christian walk. Those are the things you've been suppressing all this time. But now here it comes out. See, you were dependent not on God like you thought. I keep going around thinking, I just depend on God. Glory to God, I depend on God, I depend on God, I depend on God until you can't depend on yourself anymore. You can't depend on what you have. You can't depend on what you can see. You can't depend on what you can get. And then all of a sudden, you find out, I'm not dependent on God. All this time, I thought I was dependent on God. I've been dependent on me. What I can get, what I can do, what I have done. I've been dependent on me. All this time, I thought I was really spiritual. But wow, this is, this is pushing me a little bit here. And now we find out, huh, I can walk with God all the way up to about here. And then when God starts pushing me up into this area, hmm, that's not, that's not working so well. I start to, to cling to the flesh. I start to cling to the things. God will sometimes have us be pushed into these areas because He wants us to see what we're made of. He wants us to see what we're made of. In, um, in John's Gospel, I'm going to jump ahead to this. In John's Gospel, John chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. This seems like it occurred a lot earlier on in the process. This is recorded in John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not record this. Only John does. Now I want you to take a look at this. It may seem like it com- com- um, contradicts some of the other things that we saw in Mark, but it doesn't. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and seen a great multitude coming toward him. This would be towards the beginning, right? He said to not the disciples. He said it to Philip. He had one disciple next to him I don't think he singled out Philip. I think Philip was there. And he says to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now look at this. Verse 6. But this he said to test him. It did not say to test them. It said to test him. Philip's on the spot. Philip, I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone right now. Let's see how this works. So the multitude is coming toward him. He sows this little thought into Philip's head. Philip, where can we go to get some bread to feed these people? And then Jesus commences ministering to the people. What do you think Philip is doing? What would you do if you were Philip? I'll tell you what I would do if I was Philip. I'm going to get some more people on my side. Right? Let's start lobbying. Jesus is under the impression that we should just go buy food for all these people. I don't know where he got that impression. We're not a food ministry. 
for a healing, cast out demons, teaching ministry. And so he may be going up to Peter. Peter, Jesus just said something to me. He said, where can we go to buy food for all these people? He said, what? Matthew, Matthew, come here, Matthew. Jesus just said this to the Philip. Where can we go and buy bread for? He said, what? So the whole time Jesus is over there ministering, these guys are talking to each other about what Jesus said to Philip. So that by the time the day is getting late, it's getting far spent, they have decided Jesus thinks we are going to buy bread for all these people. We have been ministering all day yesterday. We came to a deserted place to get some food and some rest. And we've been ministering all day today. And Jesus thinks we are going to go make the trip, buy some food, bring it back, and get it ready for these people. Uh-uh. No. And so this thing is building in them. And so at the end of the day, John doesn't record this because he recorded this part here. The rest of the disciples, they recorded it this way. They came up and they suggested to Jesus, Jesus, uh, maybe we should send them away so that they can go get some food. Like, it just kind of came to us. No, it came to you because you've been thinking about what Jesus said to Philip. And you're coming up with this conclusion. Let's give Jesus some more advice. Jesus obviously is clueless. He thinks that we can just go whenever we want to and buy food. Let's see him make that trip. And then bring it back. Now think about this. You think about shopping for your family of four, five, or six, right? Think about all the bags you've got to bring in for four, five, or six. Now think about all the bags for 10,000 or more people. And you don't have an SUV. No truck, no SUV. You're carrying stuff. And the stores do not have paper or plastic. You got to get your own containers to bring. It's kind of like going to Aldi. You got to get your own stuff, bring your own bags and go out to the stores and buy all this and then bring it back to them. They're thinking about this. This is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to go to the store and buy all the bread we need to feed these guys. No, no, no. Um, the day is still, ministry is still going on. They come up to Jesus. Jesus, uh, we need to think about sending these people home. There's always tomorrow. They can come back tomorrow. We can minister to them tomorrow, some more then. But need to think about sending them home. Now, more than likely, Jesus had the idea that the disciples would be thinking on this line if he mentioned this to Philip. That Philip would talk to him. He's testing him. Let's see what he does. I'm going to put him out beyond his comfort zone. Don't think that just because you have a situation in your life that is beyond your comfort zone, that it's the devil messing with you. It could be God saying, let's see how you do. Let's get you out above your, your comfort zone. See, this is not a bad thing. How many of you remember way back when you first started driving? When you first started driving that car, you had big ambitions about driving that car. And then you got behind the wheel and 20 miles an hour seemed really fast. Anybody remember those days? I mean, 20 miles an hour. This seems really fast. I don't know if I can 
if I can do this. And then pretty soon 20 miles an hour was slow and 30 miles an hour was fast. And then 40, 45, 50. And then you remember the day when you first got on the internet or interstate? Got on the interstate and the speed limit there? It depends on when you were growing up. Of course, you know, when Jimmy Carter came along, everything was 55. But before that, it wasn't. And you could be driving on down. I mean, some roads had no speed limit. How many remember back when the roads, there was no speed limit on, there was none. There's nothing posted. If it wasn't posted, that didn't, that meant you could do whatever you wanted to. It's not posted. My grandfather would tell me stories of these days. Of course, the cars back then couldn't go as fast as they could now. But there was no posted speed limit. It's kind of like Germany over there. You can just, you know, the Autobahn, you just, you just go. And when you, but you first got up there on that interstate and it was 55, it was 65. How many of y'all know it felt fast? I remember when I got out of the 55 zone and they, they uh, first started to up, up the speed limit again. Remember they're starting up it? And if you were drove out west, if once you got out of this horrendous state of Pennsylvania and you got into Ohio, Ohio was the first place you saw it. Ohio had a posted speed limit of 75. That was the post. Now, how many of y'all know the actual speed limit is higher? Posted is 75, but actual is 80, 85, somewhere in, in that area. At that time, I had a, I had a Ford probe and Ford probes, they love, they love roads. They love turns. They love acceleration. Oh, it was a manual too. Oh boy, it was fun. I just loved getting on a twist, twisty road downshifting into the turn. Oh, that was sweet. And then accelerating on the second half of the turn. I mean, you accelerate on the second, not the first half. The second half, you can accelerate coming out of that turn and those tires just hug that road. What speed limit are they talking about? I have no idea. We, you know, they have those uh, windy, twisty roads in New Jersey that have those suggested speed limits of 35 on some of those turns. Yet 65. No problem. I'm doing 65 on those things. Nobody else is in the car. Oh, I am having lots of fun. It was, it was great. Don't do this at home. <laughs> oh, that car. You can't do that in my truck. My truck doesn't do any, doesn't have any of the fun. That, that probe, that had some fun with that car. Oh, that was, that was good. But, when you first got on that interstate in 55, that seemed fast. You were a little bit nervous about it. But then you got used to it. And then 65. And then 75. I found out something on one of my trips back and forth between here and Oklahoma. I found out something that my probe, the, um, the speed limit, tops out at 85. I have never gone faster than 85 in my probe. Never, because that's the speed limit always said 85. It topped out. It was the digital one. It, it had no dial, had a digit. It would not go any higher than 85. I don't know what speed I was going, but man, I was having fun. But I know for a while going that fast that, that I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable doing that. You see, when you start getting those times of being tested, being pushed, it's kind of getting you into the 55, 65 mile an hour lane. And then you get used to it. Oh, you know what? I can handle that 55, 65 mile an hour. Let me try 75. And for a while, you know, you this is just seems, you know, one slight move and now it could be, but then you got used to it. 
And then, of course, you watch those race car drivers on the thing, 200, what do they do, 250? I mean, they are flying. And they're having fun doing it, too. But you see, if you don't ever let God test you and push you out beyond what you have been comfortable with, you won't find out. You have not been relying on God. You've been relying on yourself and calling to God. Now, let's put you out where only I can get you through. <laughs> After, once you get used to it, you say, God, push me out there all the time that you want to. I'm ready for you. This is what he's doing with Philip. Philip, we're going to get you into the fast lane here. It's time for you to get into the fast lane. Verse 38. But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. They originally thought they had nothing. But he said, no, go investigate. So they're going around to everybody in the place. 5,000 men, their wives, their kids, going around to the, all these people. Hey, did you bring any food? Uh, no. No, no, we didn't bring anything at all. Did you bring any food? No, no, we didn't. We ran into 5,000 men, probably the, all their wives, and none of them brought any food. None brought any food. 5,000 people came unprepared. One guy. One little boy brought a lunch. And we've got some loaves and some fishes. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, this had to take a little while. you got 12 guys going around trying to find out how many people this crowd has. How much food do we have? And if they have any, may I have it? And they come back with this. Of course, one time they said, well, what is that amongst so many? So they didn't just guess. They did some investigating. They took inventory. Now, most people, write this down. It's in your outline for you. Most people feel like they have nothing. Have you ever said this to God? God, I've got nothing to take this thing on with. There is nothing I have to meet this need. We feel like we have nothing. But as long as you have something, you may have everything you need. Most people feel like they have nothing. But as long as you have something, you may have everything you need. Let me give you some examples here. Moses with his staff, he felt like he had nothing for the task. And Jesus, or God says to him, what? What's in your hand? A staff. And he used that. David may have felt like he had nothing. He was the son that was left out. But what did he have in his hand? A sling and a shepherd's staff. The widow with Elijah. When Elijah came to her, what did she say? <laughs> we really have nothing. We just got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. I'm preparing to make a last cake. She felt like she had nothing. Really, she had something. And it turned out to be everything that she needed. The widow with Elisha. She had a mountain of debt and she had nothing. What does Elisha say? What do you have in the house. I have a little bit of oil. Alright, go out there and get all the containers you can. Once you have all the containers you can, shut the door and start pouring. And she filled up all the containers with oil and then it stopped. And he said, go sell the oil and pay the debt. 
She felt like she had nothing. Turns out she had something. And all, and it was everything that she needed. So they said they had nothing. But Jesus said, look again. They looked, this is what they, they did the same problem most of us did. They looked at what they had compared to what they need. This is what we do, folks. Because we are more reliant on our flesh than we think. I look at what I have compared to what I need. That is flesh reliance. That is relying on you in some way. I cannot look at what I have and compare it to what I need without putting myself in the equation. Jesus wants to get them to the place where they don't take what they have and compare it to what they need. That's where we have to get. And your Father in Heaven is working on situations in your future to push you to see this. He's going to have situations that are going to come up. Because His purpose is to test you. He's not testing you to break you. He's testing you to get you ready to go faster. He's testing you to get you ready for what's ahead. Because He wants you to be able to go further. He wants you to be able to go faster. He wants you to have less reliance on the flesh. They looked at what they had compared to what they needed. Now, this is what Jesus did. Jesus looked at what they had combined with the power of God. See, that's what's missing in most people's equations. Moses looked at what he had. Jesus in the burning bush looked at what he had with the power of God. The power of God with that staff is going to be a marvelous thing. Marvelous thing. David looked at what he had with the sling. We really don't have any time, but he saw that as being inadequate. It seemed like he constantly saw the power of God with it. But he took the power of God with that sling and he slew a giant. Elijah looked at what the widow woman had combined with the power of God. Elisha looked at what the widow woman had in the oil combined with the power of God. That's where we have to get. Your flesh is holding you back from doing that because you are more reliant on your flesh than you think. I've got to see. I've got to have. This is what I have. This is what I need. And it just doesn't quite come up. Verse 39. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. If you've got 10,000 plus people in the group and all of a sudden the disciples come out and say, all right, everybody sit down on the grass. We need groups of 50, groups of 100. Just group yourselves into, you know, your family groups or whatever and just sit down. What are you expecting? How many are expecting to eat? Man, this is great. I didn't know that they were going to feed us too. This is phenomenal. They have built their expectation. The disciples know if we go out and tell them, sit down in groups, they know, oh, food's coming. What are they thinking? We got five loaves and two fish. I don't know that they ever grew out of that throughout this entire experience. They have five loaves and two fish. The whole time they're making people sit down, what are they thinking? Got five loaves and two fish. (laughs) The whole time they're thinking, there is no way we are feeding these people. We got five loaves and two fish. It's not their faith. It's not the faith of the people. They don't know that a miracle has to go on. They don't know what's up. 
So they sat down in ranks, verse 40, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. <laughs> Boy, I, I've heard uh, some commentary on this, that the word there for fish means really tiny fish. Really tiny fish. And basically, it was like putting some anchovies on crackers. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. They were filled. Every time I, I read this, I think of the Taco Bell commercial. Anybody remember the Taco Bell commercial? The guy comes out of the Taco Bell and he goes, I'm full! I don't know about you, how many of you are just not filled with tacos? I can eat tacos, like I mean... They're, not, they're just not filling. Three tacos? Come on. It's like an appetizer. <laughs> but they would come out of the Taco Bell. They were doing this thing trying to let people know, hey, you can go into a Taco Bell, get your food, and come out and be full. I haven't been in Taco Bell in a long time, but I'm pretty sure I don't go into a Taco Bell and come out too full. Unless I buy two meals, three meals, something like that. That one little meal that they serve up there? <laughs> okay. I don't know who they're trying to feed. They came out full. No matter what you think of what they started with, what they ended with is they were full. Everyone ate until they were full. That's 5,000 men, probably 5,000 wives, probably at least 10,000 kids, probably even uh, more than all all that probably more than, than this. This is a big group of people. 10, 20,000, 30,000. This is a big group of people. And they were all full. How many get the idea when we're reading this story that Jesus is not tested? Anybody see that Jesus is, is pushed at all? I don't see that Jesus is pushed at all. It's just like, eh, have him sit down. I put this in your outline for you. An impossible task was taken in steps. First off, there was the grouping in the city. Second, there was a taking in the blessing. He took the loaves, he took the fish, and he blessed them. Then there was the breaking and the giving. He gave to his disciples. And then there was the eating and the filling. They ate and they were filled. This is all done in steps. There's a whole lot of times, folks, we want to get to the end. I want to get to the eating and filling. I want to get to the meat of the miracle. But you got to start with the sitting and the grouping. That's building the anticipation. That's putting yourself on the line. Jesus doesn't feel like he's on the line. Doesn't give the impression that he's feeling like he's on the line. This is just what we do. There is no arriving at the desired final steps without the stretching of the first steps. We all want to get to the end, but I don't want to do the stretching of the beginning. You gotta be ready to be stretched. You gotta be ready to be, to be moved out. Jesus' purpose in telling Philip was to test him. Now we've mentioned this to you before and we've gone over this. We're not gonna get into it in any de- detail here. This miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, and it's, uh, sister's story, the feeding of the 4,000. 
are the only miracles that the disciples refer to that they had not learned the lesson from them yet. They were there. They watched this thing happen. And they would write about it afterwards. We hadn't learned the lesson that was there. If they had not learned the lesson, how many of y'all know we can probably still learn a few more things from this story? We may have looked at it many, many times, but if they had been through it and still had not learned the lesson, that's a fun little study for you. Go on out there and take a look at your concordance and look at the, how many times the, the feeding of the 5,000 was referred to. Or just the loaves. Just look up loaves. They had not learned the lesson of the loaves. They hadn't learned the lesson of the loaves. So they ate and were, were filled. Pull up the next verse. Well, yeah, I think, I think Mark has it. Maybe. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. They ended with more than they began. After 10, 20, 30,000 people ate of what was there. They ended up with more than what they started with. That is supernatural. But as long as I stand around questioning the whys and the hows, I'll never be seeing the answers or the fulfillment. Can't stand around trying to figure out the whys and the hows. Well, how? How? If I start breaking the bread, how is this going to, how is this going to work? How, if I fill water, put them in the pots, how is that going to work? How is washing the mud off my eyes going to do anything? How is getting up going to heal me? How is stretching forth my hand going to bring about a healing? You can stand around and work out all the hows and all the whys and all that sort of stuff that you want to. If it keeps you from starting for Jesus here, sit them down and group them. That's the first thing. That's before you ever touch the food. Sit them down and group them. And he says, now bring me the food. And they brought the food. Jesus didn't go take the food. They brought it to him. They knew exactly what Jesus had in the way of food. He took it and he blessed it. After he blessed it, then he gave it back to them. Why not just have them hold it and bless it? And these are the steps that he was given. These are the steps that he took. And he just kept breaking and giving more. And breaking and giving more. Can you imagine being Peter, being John, being Matthew, and going up there? You know, five loaves, two fish. You go up there and he gives you some. And you go back, this little tiny bit of stuff, you go back with this little, little bit, and you go over to this group, um, here's, here's the starters. <laughs> and then you, you go back over to Jesus, well, there's 12 other disciples, I'm sure there's nothing enough for me, but I'll go back, and, and Jesus gives you more. Wow. Did nobody else take any? And then you go on out there, and you, and you, you bring these over here, and then you have to go back. Because you don't get it all at one time. And they come back. Um, and they get some more. I wonder if at any point did they say, you know, we're kind of tired of making all these trips. Can you give us more at one time? <laughs> I don't know if they ever said that. I think for the whole time that they're doing this, I can't believe that there's more. Did anybody else give them anything more? No, you saw it was five loaves and two fish. Yeah, five loaves and two fish. I've already taken more than that out. And they come on back and Jesus breaks off some more. And cuts up some more and gives it to them and they 
I'll come back out here and they give some more. And they just keep going. The whole time they're being used in this process, they keep coming back and getting more. They know there's no more. But Jesus keeps breaking off more. They're in a deserted place. Jesus has no access to anything more. This is it. They keep coming back. And they're going, Peter, I don't know what we're witnessing here, but I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Here, have some more. I'll be right back with some more. <laughs> and they go, and they get some more. Now they're getting confident. When I go back there, I know there's going to be more. And they, they bring back some more. They're getting excited. This is, this is really cool. I wonder when it shuts off. <laughs> this, this is something. And maybe after a while of doing this, maybe they get a little bit bold and they, they take one for themselves. They're going out here and say, this is all for you, but I, I'm going to keep one for me. Because, you know, they're getting hungry. And then they come on back. They get more. And this just keeps on going. Wow. They were used in this. They saw the whole thing go on. They were stretched. You're going to have situations that are going to come up in your life. You already have had situations where you have been stretched. You're going to be stretched some more. Don't react like the disciples did. Where can we go and buy? Shall 200 denarii worth of bread feed such a great multitude? In case you're wondering, that's 200 days wage. That's almost a year's wage to spend on one meal. Being stretched is not bad. You got people in your life right now and some of them are stretching you. Some of them are helping you find out where you are dependent on yourself and where you are dependent on God. They're helping you out. You're getting mad at them. You want to get away from them. But they're helping you out. God is saying, you see, you thought, you thought that was all taken care of. To see that, you are relying on your flesh. <laughs> now, you let go of that flesh, you let me, let my power get in there, you won't be near as frustrated. You won't get near as angry. You won't get near as hurt. And life will be a whole lot easier. You keep hanging on to your flesh. It's going to be tough. What in your life are you asking why and how about things you don't know instead of putting what you have to work? Put what you have to work. I tell you my stories because they're the only stories that I can tell you. I can, I can tell you other people's stories too, but they're not mine. I've told you some of my stories. I've told you some of the ways God has told me, put the steps in place. Put the steps in place. I told you my, when the doctor said, Steve, you'll never run again. Never, you're, you're done. I told you the first step. I didn't even know it was the first step. I did the first step, then I got the second step. I did the second step, and then I did the third step. And now I can run wherever I want. I want to let you know something for this year. This year I will have, I have done the most in my entire recorded history. By the time Christmas time will come, I will have made, I would have run, if I put all of them end to end, I would have run from my house in Montgomery, Pennsylvania to LA, California. By Christmas I will make it out to Los Angeles. That's pretty good for somebody who's not supposed to be running. But you see, you've got to do the steps. God will give you the steps. 
takes faith to do that step. It took faith for them. may not have been as much faith as the other things, but it took faith for them to sit them down and to group them. There is a step right now that's in front of you. And God says, here's the step. I don't know what your step is. I know what my steps are. I don't know what your steps are. God will give you a step. This is your step. Yeah, but I don't see how that's going to work. I don't see how that's going to change anything. I don't see how that's all going to... It can't impact anything at all. But that's your step. You don't get the second step till you do the first step. Remember Abraham? He got the first step. He didn't get the second step until he finally did the first step. He kept not doing the first step. And when he finally finished and lots separated from him, now the second step came in. Do the step that is there because what step is in front of you, you can do it. You can do it. And once you do that step, then the next step will become visible. You see, Jesus didn't give them all the steps. He first of all said, sit them down. Sit them down. That's what they did. They didn't know second step. They didn't know third step. They didn't know fourth. They knew one step. Step was sit and group. That's it. That's the first step. Sit and group. Then he said, give me the food. And they brought him the food. He took it and he blessed it. That's the second step. Third step. Break and give. So they broke it and he gave. And he gave it out and he just kept giving, kept giving, kept giving, kept giving. Glory to God. And people are eating. And people are being filled. What are we going to do? You got to do the first step. And you got to get to the second step. Third step, fourth. Might be fifth. Might be a step. I don't know how many steps are in there for you. But I know if you don't do the first step, you aren't going to get there. And step one may stretch you. Step one may be something like when so-and-so comes over, I want you to be loving. I want you to be caring. I want you to ask them, what can I pray with you for? I want you to ask them, what's going on in your life? God's been telling me some things. I've been praying for you. What's going on in your life? Don't be quiet about this. Take the step. Take the step. You don't know, but sometimes, I've heard this with, with, with uh, many, many a story, sometimes the way that you minister to someone else sets God free to be able to do something in your life. And the reason that it hasn't happened in your life yet is because you have been so close to this one coming up. And he's been trying, I need you to open up to that person. I need you to, reach, I need you to have compassion for that person. You got compassion for yourself. Have compassion for them. I need you to have compassion for that person. When you pick up the compassion for that person, you open the gates for something to happen for you. I don't know what your first step is. But if you take the first step, you'll see the second. And you can see something that's phenomenal as 10, 20, 30,000 people fed from five loaves and two fish. Would you stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the great things that you were able to do. You were able to do phenomenal things. When we take what we have and combine it with the power of God, oh, it is good. I thank you, Father. Oh, I thank you for the good things that you have in store for us. Some of the things that are in front of us right now look like they are going to stretch us. It looks like we're, I don't know if we can do this. 
kind of at my end. I was ministering all day yesterday. I was ministering all day today. I just want to send these people away. Father, you see an opportunity to stretch us and to show us. You thought you were dependent on God, but here's where you're dependent on that flesh. Now, cut that off and watch how the power of God can do some things with what you have. Father, I thank you for the steps that you've given us. Every single person here has a step they can take. A step they haven't taken yet. A step they've been a little bit resistant to, just like these disciples were. A step they may even try to avoid. That's sending them away. But there's a step. When they take that step, there's going to be another step. And that'll stretch them some more. And then another step. Another stretching step. But in the end, in the end, we are the better. And what is difficult for us now will become easy down the road. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you have some of those steps that you're taking? Maybe you can share them with with people in the prayer reports as they begin to come about, as they begin to, to bring things about in your life. I'd love to hear. I appreciate the first report, you folks, taking some of the things I asked you to do last week and bringing them in. Keep that, keep that going on. Love to be able to.